me, let me share this number with you. We get this from the guy, the guys who uh, produce the TED Talks. This is what they say, that the typical online watcher for a talk, a TED Talk, will pay attention for about 22 minutes. But even while they're, during those 22 minutes when they're watching, that people will scroll through their phones, answer emails, talk to people that are around them. They're not really totally engaged with the message that's being presented to them because people just view themselves as consumers as if you're watching a show on TV. Here's what I'm going to ask you. During this sermon uh, today, I'm going to ask you that you not be a consumer, but that you be a giver. Give to the Lord and his word the attention it deserves, Okay. Don't be scrolling around on social media. Have the family sit down. Open your Bibles. Treat it as if you were in the sanctuary today listening to the Word of God. All right? Okay, so today is part two of a series that I've entitled, Jesus, the Bible, and Social Distancing. Now, obviously, uh, a month ago, I wasn't planning on doing this, but with what all is going on with the coronavirus, I started thinking about as we began to social distance and isolate ourselves from one another, how did they do that in biblical times? What did a time of quarantine state look like among uh, even Old Testament times, but in the time of Jesus as well? But before I get into today's sermon that we're going to be focusing on here in Luke chapter 17, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about someday when you go to heaven, okay? Don't share the answer with anybody else in your homes, okay? But when you go to heaven someday, who is the first person that you want to see? Who's the first person that you want to see when you go to heaven, okay? Uh, we're going to come back to that. Just put that answer in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that just in a moment. But right now, I just want to set up the context into which we're going to read Luke chapter 17, Okay, Jesus is going to be coming about around the border here between Samaria and Galilee. Okay, Jesus grew up here in a town called Nazareth. Okay, and at least three times a year, good Jews would go from Nazareth down here to Jerusalem. Now, you would think, because the shortest distance between two points is a direct line north to south, that that's the way most uh, Jewish travelers would, uh, would go, but that's not what they did. They would go 30, 50 miles out of their way. They would go over here to the Jordan River Valley, down south, up through Jericho, and up to the city of Jerusalem. Why did they do this? For the sole reason of avoiding this region called Samaria. Samaria uh, and the people that lived there called Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews because of four main reasons at the time of Jesus. Number one reason was this, is the Samaritans weren't full-blooded Jews. The Jews would use a racial term toward them, is very racist, as if they were half-breeds. What had happened centuries before is when the northern tribes of Israel were conquered, many of the Assyrian peoples came into that land and intermarried with the Jewish people, thereby giving a kind of half Assyrian, half Jewish race. Now, when those families came together, it also brought a mixing, uh, this kind of syncretistic religion between Judaism and the idol worship of the Assyrians. And so the Samaritans only followed parts of the Torah that had been handed down by Moses, but they also tolerated idol worship. Both of those things were going on. So the Jews just looked at, at the Samaritans as they, were, they had a watered-down religion or it wasn't even true religion at all. Now, that went on for hundreds of years, but around the time of Jesus, something else started happening. As people would commit crimes throughout the region of Israel, 
uh, and they would break Jewish law so they wouldn't be prosecuted, the Samaritans would actually give these criminal offenders asylum in the region of Samaria. So people, criminals from all over the region would go there. Now, can you imagine what your state would look like if you kind of gave an ollie ollie in free for all criminals to come and live there? That would affect your, uh, your society in major ways, okay? And so because they accepted Jewish criminals there, because they kind of thumbed their nose at the Jews and gave asylum to all the people that broke their laws, it really created for some bad blood between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Now, when Jesus... Uh, came along during his time, they didn't even have discussions back and forth. The racial tension between the two was so, so thick, uh, it was just beyond belief, okay? But Jesus treated the Samaritans in a way that most Jews would not. And that's what we're going to see here today, starting in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He was going along that border, okay? He wasn't doing the long way. He's doing the direct route between the two. This would have been around 32, 33 AD. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Now, some of you are watching this morning, especially kids, you're like, what is leprosy? Because we don't see leprosy um, here today in the United States very much. It's pretty much extinct here. But let me tell you what, it still exists plenty within the world. I, I've seen it as I've traveled doing my mission work, especially in Africa and South Asia. I'm going to show you some pretty graphic pictures here. I'm just giving you a warning. I'll tell you when I'm, when I'm not going to show them. But I just want to give you a little idea of why people would distance themselves from lepers the way they would, this very communicable disease, okay? It starts out with lesions on the skin like this, and then uh, around the eyes, uh, you have swelling there. To Eventually, as it progresses, the eyes start bulging out. The body starts getting infection. You, you lose lose the feeling in your hands, you get open sores, teeth start falling out, uh, literally fingers would start falling off uh, because of the lack of the nerve system and blood flow in the hands. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible disease that could wipe out an entire society. And because of this, 1,400 years before the days of Jesus, Moses wrote these words, Leviticus 13 verse 4. It says, if someone finds a spot that's white on their skin and it appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. So they quarantine them off for seven days and he shall remain unclean, it says in verse 46, as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So constant social distancing, constant quarantine, and usually once leprosy set in on a person, it didn't go away. Moses later writes in Numbers chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean, through contact with the dead. You put them out, get them away. We can't have this just destroy our entire people. He says, you shall put out both male and female. It's no discrimination of persons here. Putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Now, 
So here they are, these people that would be basically for life ostracized from society. Lepers would only be able to hang out with other lepers. Families, if they wanted to get them food, they would come and leave it from them far, far away. They would be over 100 feet away, leave the food for them, and the family would have to walk away, okay? But in the rare occasion, when you get it early on, once in a while it would heal. This is what Moses wrote. He says, if there is in the skin of one's body a boil, and it heals. So now they're getting better. And in the place of the boil, there comes a white swelling or reddish white spot. Then it shall be shown to the priest. And what this is saying is if it's showing that it's beginning to heal, that it's getting better, a priest could look at that and then quarantine that person for seven days at a time and then come back and re-examine them every week to see if they're actually healed. And after seven days of no symptoms whatsoever, the lepers would be able to then go and wash and clean, uh, burn all their clothes, shave off all their hair, get completely sanitized so they could re-enter Jewish society. And at that point, they could go and worship with their families again. But again, that didn't happen very often. And so for most people, once you were diagnosed with leprosy, the rest of your life, you were commanded by the law. If you saw anyone approaching you anywhere close, you had to shout out to them, putting your hands up in the air, waving at them, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away from me. I don't want you to get my disease. Now, can you imagine if everyone that had the uh, coronavirus had to go the rest of their lives separated from society, shouting to people, unclean, unclean, what that would do to their psyche, how that would affect them in so many negative ways? What would that do to you if you were never able to have contact with your family again? See, this is what lepers found out really soon. That the only friends a leper would have would be other lepers. It's funny how disease removes socioeconomic and racial barriers. Because what we're going to see in this story today is since it's up near the border of Samaria and Galilee, that you've got a mixture here in this group of lepers, 10 lepers, a mixture of Jews and Samaritans. And this is what disease or trouble does. For the lepers, there's no rich or poor. There's no Jew, Samaritan, male or fa female. It's just people who identify as lepers and those who don't. The outcasts and the ones who are still accepted. And it's during this time that I want us to think about, just for a moment, the people who are outcasts from our society. In the same way lepers found each other back then, uh, not a lot has changed. Because people who are socially distanced today, not for necessarily health reasons, but maybe because they're poor or a poor minority class, People are distanced because they have special needs or just socially challenged. A lot of people live like this every day of their lives. I remember when I was in, uh, in high school, there were a group of kids, most high schools have them. I know this from 20, 25 years of youth ministry. There's always a spot in just about every public school where the kids who are considered outcasts hang out. One section outside, they all go hang out there for lunchtime. They, 
These outcasts, listen, I don't know how they do it. It's like they have outcast radar. They find each other. They hang out in the same sections, and they become friends with each other because, listen, outcasts just realize the one thing we have in common is that we're all not accepted by the in crowd. They might go to work. They might go to school. But they are socially distanced every night because they have no friends or family that care enough to check on them on a regular basis. And what they do is they fly under the radar at work or at school or maybe even at church because they've just found it's easier and less hurtful if they socially distance themselves. So that's what you have here with Jesus. This group of 10 outcasts who have found each other, 10 lepers, But when they see Jesus, they don't shout out to him, unclean, unclean, like the law required them to do. When they see Jesus, they recall the stories of here is the man from Galilee who everyone he touches is healed. This man is literally healing hundreds of thousands of people over the course of the last two or three years. And so with all the, the, the crowds and the throngs that follow him, they see Jesus off in a, in a distance, and instead of shouting to him, unclean, unclean, they lift their voice in unison together, and they say this, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We've heard the story of how you do miraculous healings. You are our only hope. This word for Master is them recognizing that he has some kind of great authority in their lives. They are submitting themselves to him. And so what he does is he sees them and instead of going over like he usually does or like he did earlier in the book of Luke with another leper, he just says these words to them. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, why why does he say go and show yourselves to the priests? Well, it goes back to what the Old Testament law. I think there are three reasons here that Jesus sends them to go talk to the priest. Reason number one is this. is first of all, it's fulfilling the Old Testament law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or prophets, but to fulfill them. And so when a leper was healed, it was their job to go and show themselves to the priest. Secondly, what this would do is the priest could then, when they proclaim these lepers clean, then these guys can get back into society's game. They can go see their families again. So that's the second reason. But I think there's a third reason here is the priest, even though everyone knew Jesus was healing people, they didn't want to admit it. But when they see 10 lepers come before them, they're not only going to have to recognize that these 10 lepers are clean and a miracle has taken place, but they're going to have to publicly affirm, publicly authenticate the miraculous work of Jesus. Isn't that ironic? These people are wanting to attribute Jesus' work to the devil or are going to have to attribute this medical miracle unto his power. This is what Jesus is having to do here. So he, he sends them to go make this report. This miracle has taken place. But watch what happens to one of them as they're on their way. Watch it. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, watch this from the previous verse. As they went their way, on their way, they were cleansed. So like they're running to go to the priest. That was an act of faith. Listen, because of their act of faith, they had this healing, okay? 
But one of them recognizes it as he's running that he's healed and he leaves the other nine and runs back to Jesus. And while he's doing it, he is praising God. How? With a loud voice. Man, I gotta be honest, if I could just back off the story here just for a second. I, I think we're gonna have just a small picture of this when the ban is lifted and we're able to come back, it's safe to come back together again as church families and congregations and worship the Lord. I think the singing, the day that we come back, the praising the Lord that's gonna take place when all our church families are able to come together again and worship the Lord. I think it's gonna be like we read here in the book of the Psalms where David says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I mean, it's gonna be so loud, we're gonna blow the rafters off the place. He continues, David does. He says, serve the Lord with gladness, but when we come into his presence, he commands us to do it, how? With singing. Man, I look for it. And that's what we see with this leper doing is, is he's received the, the, the blessing of the Lord and now he's running back and he's making this loud noise. And the loud noise used to be unclean, unclean. And then it turned to Jesus, master, have mercy on me. And now it's to Jesus has saved my life. I'm going to worship him. I've had an encounter with the Son of God. So the story continues in verse 16. It says, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then it points out for this one, he is what all the Jews look on as a second-class citizen. He was a Samaritan. Now, I want to contrast this man, this man with the others. But before I do, I, I, I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning of the sermon. When you get to heaven, I'm just going to give you your answer. I don't, you may have thought earlier, I'm going to see my grandma, my spouse, maybe a friend who's passed away. But that's not who you're going to run to first. You see, when the corruptible becomes incorruptible, when our, our flesh becomes transformed into something just awesome that we can't even imagine, all disease is done away with, but not only that, our fleshly way of thinking is taken away. Our desire is going to be like this one former leper, not like the other nine. The other nine run off to see someone else, but here in this case, the one who actually understands who Jesus is runs and falls at Jesus' feet. Listen to what I'm telling you. When our sin is wiped away and we show up at those pearly gates for the first time, we are all just going to fall at the feet of Jesus. There's not going to be anything else that we want to do. There's not going to be anybody else that we want to see before we see Jesus because of the miracle that he has performed in our lives. He is going to proclaim it with a loud voice with us, this Samaritan. We are all going to fall at the feet of Jesus. But let me say, tell you something to contrast this Samaritan with the other nine, some of whom were Jews, okay? Okay. Um, right now, in our hospitals, clinics across the land, they're getting more and more of these detection kits out there so people can take a test to see whether or not they are carrying the coronavirus, okay? I think that God gives us an idolatry detection kit 
And it has two things in it that expose whether or not we worship God or we are struggling with idols. You see, when something big happens in our life, whether good or bad, first I'm going to talk about the bad, the pain, the anxiety that goes with that. Who do you run to tell? When pain comes to your life, do you look to human beings to fix it or do you run to God? There are two things that expose, and the first of it, first thing that exposes our, the idolatry of our hearts is pain. You know, a, a few months ago, we, uh, we were studying the gods of Egypt and how Moses brought the plagues upon them. See, the people of Egypt, listen, the Nile River wasn't a bad thing, but God had to curse that. Their crops weren't a bad thing, but God cursed and destroyed their crops. Their cattle weren't evil, but God had to destroy them. Eventually, even God took their own children away. Why did he do this? It's because the Egyptian people were worshiping the creation instead of the creator of those things. The Nile River was a good thing. The crops were good. Their children were good. These were good things that we can love, but we can also turn those things into idols. And so what God was doing in Egypt back 3,400 years ago is he was wiping those idols away, showing people the idolatry of their hearts. Well, I think, I'll be honest with you, I think that's what's happening with us right now here in America. I think these are good things that can be idols to us. That's what this is doing. I'm not necessarily saying that God is sending us for this purpose, but I think this is a result of what's happening. Is that so often we idolize sports, but God shut all the sports down. And if our identity is in our, our ability to play sports, God's taking that away and we're feeling that pain. We're feeling that anxiety. I don't get to finish my senior year. I don't get to go watch my kids' game. We're, we're shutting down the NCAA tournament. We're shutting down the NBA. Baseball can't start. I mean, all the things that are being shut down right now and the fear and anxiety that go with that and the economic impact of that in all of our cities shows us, like, what does it look like if the God of sports is taken away? What does that do in our hearts? So many people worship Hollywood movie stars while well, the theaters have been shut down. Listen, music is a good thing. It was given to us to worship God. But if your identity is wrapped up in music right now, what's happened is all the, all the civic center and arenas have been shut down. If you worship food, all the restaurants are closed. If you worship money, if your, your identity is wrapped up in your bank account, in your job, God's sh shutting down the stock market. Now, I'll even add this one. Some of us are even struggling with knowing how to worship because we can't come to church. And listen, social church gatherings can become your religion just as well. We can draw our identity from our church family and not draw our, draw our spiritual identity from our God. We find our religious contentment in our gatherings and not in the person we worship.
And so what God has done with all these good things, all of them have been shut down. And so it leaves us asking this question right now, is Jesus enough? What if I don't get any of these things back? How much anxiety will I continue to face? Is Jesus enough? If the stock market doesn't go back up, if you can never play sports again, if the restaurants don't open, is Jesus enough? Secondly, in the idolatry detection kit, we have the exact opposite of great pain, and that is success. And that's what we see going on with these lepers, the nine that keep on running away. When they finally had success and freedom, instead of running to God, they run to their family members. They run to their worship centers. The most important thing is what you run to in troubled times. And when you are successful, whoever you run to and thank first for pouring into you, whoever you run to and, and say, thank you for giving this to me or enabling me to do that, those can be your idols. And that's what we're seeing here with men. I mean, how many times do you, do you see people hit a lottery and they go out and start spending money and they go wild? Or a kid who's a humble kid and he's in church every week and all of a sudden he gets really good at sports and then the family just starts skipping out worship every week and they're not spending time in the word or they start getting successful in their job and all of a sudden they don't have time to make the worship of God a priority on a daily basis. We can all get wrapped up in so many things that we find our success in. And all this does is when we find success is bring out what our heart truly worships. That's what success does. You can finally have the money to get what your heart has always desired. You finally, you start working out, you get in shape. You finally have the look to get that person you've always desired. That's the idolatry detection kit. None of these things were evil in and of themselves other than it violates two of the commandments that I think we violate the most, the first and the last. The first is you must worship, you should have no other gods before him. Don't even bring any other idols in his presence. And then finally, thou shalt not covet always longing for something you don't have, not thankful for what God has already given you. Success exposes the idols of the heart and it only enables you to go after what your heart always wanted. The other lepers ran to what they desired, family, religion, but the one thing they didn't run to, or I should say the one person they did not run to, was Jesus. When Jesus gave them what they prayed for, they ran to their true gods. And this is why I asked, when you get to heaven, who are you going to run to? Now, in contrast, you see here, Jesus with the Leper there falling at his feet. He's already broken all the rules of social engagement here, but he's healed. It's okay. 
And he answers to the man, he says, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Now, when we say here, where are the nine, really, if it, the Greek construction of the words literally read like this. The nine are where? I mean, yeah, I know Jesus sent them to go to the priest, but he's also saying they should have thanked me as soon as they were healed. The nine are where? And then Jesus adds this because the man's a Samaritan. He says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, this is an amazing thing we see about Jesus. Who was the man? Watch this, watch this. Who did the man fall down and worship? Jesus. Jesus, right? And yet, watch what Jesus is saying here. Was no one found to return and give praise to? It doesn't say me. It doesn't say Jesus. It's a praise to God. Why? Because watch, my friends, Jesus is God, and he is receiving this man's worship. And if Jesus were God, he shouldn't be receiving this man's worship. But yet it's this Samaritan, this foreigner, who doesn't even, from a Jewish perspective, know how to worship properly, who comes from this watered-down religion, he is the one who gets that it is God is, is the person that he's just had an encounter with. And as a result, Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. You see, the other nine got physical healing but this man received the healing that really matters the success that really matters he has come into a right relationship with Jesus in the end I really believe that only one of these ten are actually saved because of the pain anxiety and success just shows that they ran to their true God. Here are my takeaways of the day. And if you're just starting to watch these sermons, I always give some applicational points at the end. Here's the first one I now want you to get from this sermon. First of all is this. Outcasts find each other. And I, and I want to say this. I think, unfortunately, our churches don't do a good job of finding other outcasts because we don't view ourselves as outcasts. We don't realize that we at one time were spirit, spiritual lepers as well. And so this is what I'm asking us to examine right here in, in this moment. How well are we doing in reaching those who've been left out from our society? How well are we doing at reaching out and bringing in this person into the family of God? What are we doing to do like Jesus? We were talking last week where he, he spotted the woman who was healed, who's been ostracized by her friends and family for 12 years. What are we doing to be more like Jesus where we're reaching the kids that are on the fringes of our society? What are we doing to reach those people we work with that don't quite have the social skills, that it's always, it's just a little bit awkward to have a conversation with them because they don't know quite how to communicate. How are we reaching out to the kids with special needs? What are we doing to reach the minorities in our community that don't feel quite included to how we worship on Sunday mornings? If you're a student right now, how do you 
How do you socially distance yourself from the kids that don't play ball with you? How do you socially distance yourselves from the kids that aren't in the band, from, that don't hang out, that aren't just exactly like you? What, what I'm here to share with you this morning is we have to realize, listen, before Jesus, we were all outcasts. And Jesus is reaching out to us so that we will reach out to them to bring them into the family of God. I dare say, I don't think our churches are doing a very good job of this today. But this was the heart of Jesus' ministry, to bring in those that nobody else wanted. Takeaway of the day, number two. A saved heart is a thankful heart. And a thankful heart is a happy heart. A saved heart is a thankful heart. And a thankful heart is a happy heart. When this one leper was saved along the way, when he was healed, he immediately, because of the regeneration that had taken place in his heart, he immediately received within himself this understanding of God has just healed me and I am so thankful. And he couldn't take another step away from Jesus. He had to run and fall at Jesus' feet and express his thankfulness to him. Something had changed about who this man was. He now had a thankful heart. And this is what I want to share with you as we go through these troubling times. And listen, they are. I struggle with these things as well. What we have to do is focus on the things that we're thankful for. Focus on what we have and what we don't have as opposed to what we don't have. This is a major part of what we're doing during our Wednesday night prayer meetings is we just get on there and people tell me all the time, man, I felt so good after we had that prayer time the other night. Here's why. It's because we take a major portion of our time just praising God like this Samaritan did and thanking God like this Samaritan did. If you are getting down and worried, the thing to do is just thank God for what he's given you. Be happy with what you have. A thankful heart is a happy heart. And then my last takeaway of this morning is this. Even if we don't get the economy back, even if we don't go back to school in the next few weeks, even if our plans for college, for buying a house, finding someone, seeing a boyfriend or a girlfriend, even if we don't get any of these things back, is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? What do, what? I just want to take a moment. A thankful heart is a happy heart. Man, let's just thank God that he's exposed the idols of our lives right now. Whatever we're fearing fear or anxiety over, listen, the Bible says don't fear, and the reason it says that is because we know God is in control. So even though it looks like the world's spinning out of control right now, and we might have fear and anxiety over that, ultimately a thankful heart is a happy heart. This is just where we thank God that we have the only thing that matters, and that is relationship with his son. Jesus is enough for me. And as you experience this time of loss, of anxiety, of fear, just keep asking yourself this question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for me? And when you know the answer to that question is yes, yes.
There's a peace of God that passes all understanding that will flow through your soul. And it will emanate to those around you. And they will experience that peace as well. Because they will see that Jesus is 